You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Tonight, if you if you are uh, if you've been with us, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. If you haven't been with us, hey, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in chapter five today, moving through our study, and uh, we are uh, in the section of the Gospel of Matthew known as the Sermon on the Mount, and this uh, goes through chapters five, six, and seven. And as such, we're going to slow down a bit. We've been kind of blowing through Matthew, but we're going to slow down a bit and give it some, some, some tender love and care um, as the Sermon on the Mount needs so that we can understand it adequately and so that we can know exactly what Jesus is saying and see how we can learn from his words. And so tonight we are going to be covering verses 13 through 16 in a simple message simply entitled Salt and Light. And so if you're taking notes, that is going to be what we are studying tonight. And uh, before we get into it, as we have been doing and as we will continue to do, it does as well as Bible students to make sure that we have a good grasp on, on the background and the theme of Matthew so that we know a little bit about it, the background, and also why we are studying it. And so we know that Matthew, this book of the Bible, was written by a man named Matthew. He's also called Levi and other portions of the text. But he was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a tax collector, and he wrote this letter specifically to the Jews, to a Jewish audience, so as to give them insight into the fact that Jesus, hey, he was the Messiah that they were looking for, that they actually at this point in time had missed. And so he's writing to them to let them know, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King of the Jews that we have been waiting for, and now we have missed him However, you can still know him. And he shows that out throughout the book of Matthew by looking at Jesus's ministry, his walk, his works, his, his speech, his sermons. Also, the fulfilled prophecy that we see Jesus be a part of as he fulfilled much of the Old Testament scriptures in his walking and working in ministry. And for us, a, a predominantly Gentile church, for us as the church, we study Matthew because, well, we see exactly what the Jews were to see, that Christ is the king, that he is the king, not just of the Jews, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of the Bible points to that fact. And what I love about Matthew is the fact that all of the Bible is involved in this book. You look at Matthew and the fulfilled prophecy within it, well, you go to the Old Testament, which shows us that, hey, the old and the new, they're still relevant. They're still important, and we need to be about all of God's Word. And I'm so thankful that we get to see that here in this book as we study together. And last week, again, we started the Sermon on the Mount, which will take us from chapters 5 through chapter 7. And to help us with that, because it's really a theme within the theme of the Gospel of Matthew, it does us well to also make sure we know what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. My wife was joking with me as I was starting it last week, because I was like, man, this book is a beast. The Sermon on the Mount's a beast, and man, just breaking it down. She's like, well, it's a sermon. You should just read it, and it'll be fine. And I was like, that's a great idea! But, uh, you know, you, you probably wouldn't be happy if I just sat up here and read that and be like, all right, well, time to go. <laughs> so we're going to take the time to dive into it. And by that, you know, by, by uh, you know, I digress on that. <laughs> what that means is we need to know what we're studying. And the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is really the why 
behind what Jesus had said when he came on the scene. In Matthew 4, 17, his simple message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A simple message there to those who would hear him. The Sermon on the Mount is the explanation of that. Jesus is a good teacher. And so he there lets us know why he said that all of the why behind why they need to repent as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And really what he does is he sets forth the mindset of the kingdom of heaven and shows that it is different than the kingdom or the kingdoms of this earth. And we we talked about last week how the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a formula for salvation, Rather, it is an indication of our need for a Savior and the directing of that Savior in our lives as we read and accept that mindset. There on your screen is what we said last week. The Sermon on the Mount directs us to Christ, and then it directs us in Christ. And that is what we see and what we will continue to see prayerfully as we move through the text. And so tonight, as we move through this text together, we continue where we left off last week. So pick up with me there in verse 13 as we read these few verses together, where Jesus says, you are the salts of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. God, again, just your goodness and your grace that brings us together, Lord, and the freedom that we have to be here. I just praise you and I thank you. And Lord, I pray that now as we turn our attention to your word for a few moments tonight, that God, you would just lead and you would guide and you would help us, Lord, to understand what it is that you're saying here, that we would realize, Jesus, that these words are for us to apply to our lives. So help us to do that, God. Help us to learn what you have and Lord, also to apply what you have for us, that we may walk in this world for you, showing you to this world. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, as we studied verses 3 through 12, together we studied what is known as the Beatitudes. And that's not because we are supposed to be having those attitudes so as to walk, you know, so that God can love us. But they are called Beatitudes simply because the Latin word Beatus is where you get this word Beatitudes, and it simply means blessed. And you see that as you walk through, the, through those verses, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then so on from there, we have this blessed, this blessing that comes to those who adopt this kingdom mindset and walk according to it. And you'll remember last week that from verses three to 10, Jesus was talking about those and them. He said, blessed are thee, blessed are those when they do thus and so. And then in verse 11, he changed the grammar, didn't he? He went from saying, hey, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, to the very next verse, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. What Jesus does there is he turns that corner, turns and changes the grammar to say, hey, this what I'm speaking of, this mindset of the kingdom, it's not just this ethereal thought, this theoretical mindset, it's actually to be applied to you, and you are to walk accordingly. 
And he was honest with them to let them know that, hey, as you do so, the world's not going to be very kind to you. As you walk according to this, hey, the world is going to walk differently and it's going to cause some friction between you. And tonight he continues much in the same way. As he leaves the Beatitudes, he then turns now to this, this second section of the Sermon on the Mount known as the similitudes, where the Beatitudes talk about blessing the similitudes, Jesus making the, making the application personal for his listeners. He now shows them, hey, those who have the kingdom mindset, well, this is what they're like in the world. This is what they can be likened to. And I love Jesus doing this because it makes it very simple for us. It makes it very simple for the reader here as we look at these common things that Jesus points out that those who walk with that kingdom mindset, those who follow Jesus, hey, they are like this and so act accordingly. And again, he uses simple things so as to make that correlation. The first of those being salts. He says there in verse 13, you are the salts of the earth. And I love, again, the simplicity. There as he gives this picture of the people of the kingdom of heaven being salts of the earth. And, and for us, really, in, in our context, our cultural and our, and our place in history that we sit, this is indeed a very common thing. Salt is a super common thing in your house. I mean, salt is very inexpensive um, unless you buy the high-end salt because that's a thing in our world. Um, you know, it's very inexpensive and we have it. We, we have it. But you have to remember as Bible students, the cultural context of the day there in the first century, salt was a highly sought-after commodity. It was highly valuable. In fact, there in the Roman society, the Romans who were there over the known world of the time, salt was actually used as currency. It was, in fact, used to pay the Roman soldiers. It was there to pay their wages. So that phrase, he's not worth his weight in salt, that, that comes from there speaking of Roman soldiers who you know, weren't quite worth what they were being paid. Salt to us is a, a relatively cheap thing. Salt to this context, hey, this was a big deal. And there's, there have been throughout history and the history of the study of the Bible, many correlations that have been made between the believers in Christ and salt. And they're all good, and we're going to mention a few of them. But what we see in these are really how believers are seen as salt as they walk through the world. And, you know, we just mentioned the fact that salt was valuable in that day. And so many have looked at the cultural context of where Jesus is speaking. And they say, ah, oh, salt and believers, it must be speaking of their value. And that's not a bad way to look at it, quite honestly. We know that in Jesus Christ, we are loved by the Father. We know that as His, we are adopted sons and daughters of the King, co-heirs with Christ. So the Bible shows us we're valuable to the Lord. And in the same way that salt was valuable then, hey, we're valuable now. And that's, that's a really encouraging thing. That's a cool correlation. It's one that makes us realize, hey, guess what? God loves me. I'm loved by Him. I'm valued by the Lord. And so salt, referring to the value of the believer, hey, I, I like that. But another way, another correlation that we see has to do with the preserving influence that salt has. You see, others hone in on the, on the preserving properties that salt has, especially in that century or in any century before refrigeration, where salt was used as a preservative for meat and other foods. They would slather things in salt so as to keep it from rotting, whereas we just stick it in the icebox. But what we see here is this amazing correlation 
where believers, us walking in this world, we are a preserving agent of sorts. And you ask, what, what does that mean? Well, for that, I take you to the book of Revelation, where after, you know, I believe and, you know, theologically, my, in my mind, I say that the church is going to be raptured before the great tribulation happens. Well, I, I, I look at those pages and I'm like, it's a lot worse with the, with the church gone. And so really, as we walk in this world, there's this preserving aspect of us being in this world where we see evil not quite allowed to run as rampant as it will one day, as it could one day when the church is removed. And so this correlation, looking at the preserving properties of salts, as well as the preserving properties that the church holds, it's a good correlation. Another one that I really like are the healing properties that you see within salts. You know, it may sound painful, and I'm, I'm sure it is, but salt directly applied to a wound is actually a good thing. And it's, it, it sounds horrible, actually. I'm not going to do that. As much as it may be true, I'm not going to do that. You can, because apparently it's very good for you. You can apply salt to a wound, and it has these great healing properties about it. And in those times, that's exactly what they would do. Someone would get a gash on their arm or their leg or what have you, and they would stick salt directly into it so as to stop the infection and begin the healing process. And here, I enjoy this correlation because in the same way that Jesus, in his power, his salvific power, raises our dead self from the dead, brings healing to our lives, so too as we, as Christians in this world, speak about that, well, there's a healing property to us in this world. There's a healing property to us walking as salt in this world and sharing with people, hey, Jesus heals, Jesus saves. That's an amazing thing. So that correlation, well, it's good. Another way kind of in line with that is the fact that salt causes thirst, right? Like you think about it, you get a big bag of chips or, or, or a salty pizza, and man, you're, you're, you eat that whole thing, you're looking, for, you're looking for something to drink. And in the same way that salt causes thirst, so too are believers as we walk in the world, should we cause others as they watch our lives to thirst for what brings us peace, to thirst for what brings us hope and brings us completion, you know, as we walk in this world and see how this world is crazy and unprecedented and uncertain in many, many cases, you know, we can have a certain hope in Jesus Christ because we know that we stand with the one who, who holds it all together. We know that we have a hope that is everlasting. And so when you are walking through your day and you're trusting the Lord and someone else's life is, you know, hitting the wall, they can look at you and be like, why are you so calm? And you can be like, well, because of Jesus. And they start to, you know, just, I, I want that. That's, that sounds really good. What, what is that? They become this spiritually dry mouth, if you will. And they're like, what's the answer? And so we as believers walking as salt in this world, we, we, we cause thirst. And the most prominent, and the one really that many of us focus on when it comes to a correlation between, between believers and salt is right in line with that. It has to deal with the taste. It has to deal with the flavor, the saltiness. And that's because salt is so distinguishable, right? Like, like salt is even in, in its simplest form is so recognizable within, within its food group. Like, like you think of, any, like any, of anything that's bland by nature, like popcorn. Like I, if, if you eat popcorn without salt, you're, you're a special person. And I have no problem telling you that right now. Because you need some salt on there, man. I, 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 I get if it's a dietary issue, I understand. But man, you've got some salt on there. 
or, or watermelon. Anybody, any salt and watermelon in here? Yeah, amen. What about, what about pepper and cantaloupe? Nope. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yes. That's another story. But, but salt and watermelon, well, it changes the taste of the watermelon, and especially on a hot summer day, oh, it's the best. And it's awesome. Salt on pizza is good because it's already salty, so why not make it more salty? And then my personal favorite when it comes to salt changing things, and I, 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 I don't care what you think as I say this, peanut butter and pickle sandwiches, man. Yeah, it's awesome. I don't know why, but it's awesome because you got the peanut butter and the salt of the pickles. You put that... It's amazing. And if you're, if, you're, if you're knocking it, you need to try it before you, and then come back and talk to me because it'll change your life. <laughs> it will. <laughs> Peanut butter pickle sandwiches, man. Salt is so distinguishable. You can pick it out. You can see it. The taste is there. And for us as believers in Jesus, we are the salt of the earth and we should change the flavor of the world around us. We should be salty there to the world around. We should see, they should see a difference, a distinct flavor as we walk and as we live in the world. Saltiness is noticeable. So should Christians. That correlation, man, it's so easy to see. It's so easy. And all of these characteristics of salt, they're right on. They absolutely are. When it comes to us being followers of Jesus, it's simple, it's relatable. But so is the warning that Jesus offers after he says that, we are like the salt of the earth, or we are the salt of the earth, excuse me. The warning there, this idea, this, this picture of saltiness being diluted. You see, our English translation, it's kind of a bummer. It, it kind of messes with it a little bit as we read there what it says. You know, the New King James is good. It says it, it, says it loses its flavor. Some translations actually say lose its saltiness. I, I, I kind of I, I cringe at that a bit. And critics of the Bible, well, they look at us a lot of times and they say, ha, ah, right there, you crazy Christians. Look, salt doesn't, salt can't not be salt. So gotcha, the Bible is, is goofy. Well, understand that as you read it in English, it may seem that way. But if you read it in the original, if you read it in the Greek, what it's talking about is not salt not becoming salt, but salt being lost. Salt, salt or the saltiness being diluted by the things that are around it. You know, you think about soup. I like soup. I don't love soup. But I really like soup if soup is salty. And to get soup salty, you have to make sure that the ratio of salt to everything else is right. So salt to water, salt to vegetables, salt to the meat, salt to whatever, it has to be correct. But if you get that ratio wrong and you have too much water to your salt, well, you lose your salt. If you have too many carrots and celery and other things, you lose the salts there in the soup. You lose it in the mix. And the same is so true. And Jesus hits on this saying there, hey, look, you can lose your saltiness in the mix. You know, not just with food. Think about, again, how salt has healing properties to it. Salt in and of itself applied to a wound, it sounds awful, but it does its job. But what we do is we take salt, we're like, okay, this is going to work, but it's going to hurt, so I'm going to put some lotion on it and then some oils to make it smell good, and it's ugly, so I'm going to put some color on it. And we make this mixture, this salve, and we apply that. And it may do some of the work that it needs to be, but the salt is masked by everything else that it's mixed with at this point. And the salt is still salt, don't get me wrong, but the potency of the salt to do its work, it's hindered because it's lost in the mix. And Jesus here, that is exactly what he's pointing out. 
He's pointing out this idea that, hey, as you, as you walk, if the salt loses its saltiness, if it loses its flavor, well, then it's good for nothing but to be trampled out and thrown into the road. And my friends, it's such a word for us as we look at the correlation of salt and us as we are called the salt of the earth. We need to realize that as salt, we need to stand out in our saltiness. We need to not let ourselves get lost in the mix, lost in the soup, lost in the sauce, whatever you want to say. We need to not let it happen because if we do, well, we lose the effect that we have on the world around us. Salt is distinct. Believers, we should be distinct. But it's hard to be distinct when we get caught up in, say, a sin that you're holding on to. You know, something that the Lord has spoken to you to let go of. Something that you know you're forgiven of, but you keep going back to it. You know you're freed from it because God has broken that bond of your slavery to it, but you keep going back to it. Well, hey, as you continue to do so, well, you're, you're, causing, you're causing your saltiness to diminish. Maybe it's not sin, maybe it's a care or being wrapped up in things of the world. You know, we do a very good job of, 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 of honing in on everything that has to do nothing with what we should be focusing on. That's just how we do as humans. But when it comes to us walking as salt in this world, we must absolutely make our saltiness, our distinctiveness in the Lord stick out and not get lost in the things of this world. Because if we do, our effectiveness goes away. And we're still salt. Don't get me wrong. And don't miss that tonight. That you're still salt, you're just not usable. You're not usable for what you were made to be usable for. And so we see there that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if it loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. And so we need to make sure that we're good for something, that we're walking and that we stay distinct. And Jesus doesn't stop there. I love what he does. He goes next to another very common, very relatable thing where he there in verse 14, we're going to read it one more time. He says, you are the lights of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. Again, I love the simple objects that Jesus here points out to us. You know, he likens, his, he likens his followers to light, something that we can all relate to because we use it almost, almost just inherently. Light is something that we, we deal with. Like if light's gone, we notice it. If it's dark, you notice. If the light is a bit off, if the light flickers, like you notice it. Like light is just something we are so conscious of. And yet also at the same time, kind of unconscious of because it's so normal. It's a very interesting paradox, but that's whatever. That's just rabbit trail. So he says there, speaking of something common, that you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. And I don't know about you, but when I think of a city set on a hill, I, I, you, you can think of, you know, driving down the road and seeing kind of the light pollution or whatever on the clouds. You, you can think through that or whatnot. I, I actually, when I was reading this today, my mind immediately came to the idea of the like nighttime satellite images. Anybody else just randomly look at those like in, in, to Antarctica because you think Antarctica is cool and you're like, I want to see if there's any lights there, <laughs> you know? Like that's what I think about. I think about like a, a worldview, a, a look at the globe at nighttime. 
And you see there on the different countries and continents, you have these little spots of light that are all there. You have these little spots of light that show up. And what I love is especially in, in the areas where there's not a lot of cities. You have super rural areas. The light really shows up. Like if you look there on the screen at Australia, you've got like pop, 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 pop. It's like this, this little bitty line. Or there in Africa down towards the south, you go, you've got all of these different areas there. And it's just the light where it's at, man, it shows up. And so that's where my brain went with that. Jesus, in their day, as he's there speaking, they actually had a cultural context as well. They had something they could relate to as well. You see, as Jesus is there speaking and teaching in, in, in the region of the Galilee, there specifically around the Sea of Galilee, well, understand that there was a literal city set on a hill that they would have thought of. It's a city called Safed. And this city is on the northern part of the, of the Galilee there. That's a picture of it today. And you can see the Sea of Galilee kind of in the far left side there. But you notice all the other cities there that lead up to this one. Well, they're lower in elevation and they're blocked there by the, the hills and the, and the foothills of, of the mountains there. And so Jesus, as he's teaching there, they would have thought, as he said, you are a city set on a hill. Contextually, they would have thought Safed because... There on the Sea of Galilee, fishermen and sailors, when they were out in, in the night, and it was a cloudy night, they couldn't navigate by the stars or anything like that, they would look to get their bearings to Safed. They would look to this city to get their bearings so as to know, okay, that's where north is. I know where it's at, so that's, that, I, I, have my, I have my bearings now. And so as Jesus speaks there to them, they would have had in their mind, not, not satellite images, but they would have had this idea and this image of this city literally that is set on a hill. And so as Jesus told his followers there that they would have had that picture. But also he gives another simple illustration, another correlation that of lamps on a lampstand. See, he mentions there that if someone in a home lights a lamp, that that lamp is, is put on a stand, not under a basket. Because light, well, it's meant to give off light. It's meant to illuminate. It's meant to do its job. And so if you're in your house and it's dark, you're not going to take a lamp and you're going to hide it under a bushel. No, you're going to let it shine. That's just what you're going to do. And so Jesus, he makes that correlation there. He gives them that picture. And then Jesus makes it apply in verse 16. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And really, he's invoking this imagery again of a city on a hill and there a lamp that's in a house which the people would have all had familiarity with, which we can have familiarity with as well. And Jesus then says, as those do, so let your light shine before men. And if you notice, he lets them and us, the reader here, know how that happens. He says, through your good works that they, that that is the way that people will have the opportunity to glorify your Father in heaven. Now, please understand as we read that and as we see that, as some do, please don't get, make the mistake of thinking that as, as Jesus says that, that he's somehow meaning that now salvation is about works and that it's works-based. Remember, first and foremost, the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a formula for salvation. So he's not pointing to this idea of you working and showing your good works so as to lead others to think, I have to work for my salvation. Again, that is not the case. If anything, what Jesus is showing here in the Sermon on the Mount is a complete attack on the idea that God helps those who help themselves. In all honesty, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it directs us to Christ. It directs us to the idea that we need a Savior. And so 
really what we see through all the Sermon on the Mount is our dependency, our need for Him, and that our works here and now, they don't cut it. And so don't think that as Jesus says here, that your good works will cause them to glorify your Father in heaven, that that is what He is leaning to. What He's showing here is the fact that as we are directed to Christ by what Jesus is saying here, and then are directed in Christ, that what's going to come out of that as we are salt and as we are light is our desire for action to glorify the Lord. Our desire to work is going to be a product of that kingdom mindset. As we seek to walk with Jesus, as we seek to walk with him in this world, what's going to happen, what should happen naturally as we dive into that relationship is a desire to work for him and a desire to work for him openly. See, Jesus here, as he speaks about light being open and seen, and then speaks about works, well, he's speaking about the reality that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in a bubble or behind a wall, but out and about. Where you work, where you live, where you do life, that is, that, that is where you work out your Christianity. That is where you work out your life in Christ so that others around you can see it so that others around you can see how Jesus has changed your life, how he's leading you and how he has impacted you so that they can in turn look at your life and be like, why? And then you have the opportunity to say, here's why. Give glory to the Lord so that they can in turn give glory to the Lord as well. And so Jesus is not speaking here of this works-based salvation or this idea that you have to work and work and work so as to show that you, to show, to show, um, others that that's what it takes to glorify the Lord. No, you work because of who you are in the Lord, because of your desire to work for the Lord. The question for us tonight, church, is simple. Does your light so shine before those around you? Does your light, does mine, do we work at our faith that shines the light in this world as we're walking in this world? And you may think, as I say that, Justin, the world's a big place. Well, let me make your world smaller for a moment, because Jesus, I love this, and I love this about the Bible, because nothing in the Bible, we've said it before, is there by accident. He points out that, hey, you know, gives them the picture there of a lamp in a house lighting the house up. You don't hide the lamp in your house because you want the light there. So is your light so shining first and foremost in your world, your small part of the world, your home, where you're at on a daily basis, where you do the most of your life there in the home, whether you're, whether you're married or you're single or you have kids or you have grandkids or you just have just people, dude, is your home a place where your light is so shining before anyone that's there? It's important that we ask that question because, because understand that, that for many of us, if we don't let our light shine in the home, we're not going to let it shine out of the home. If we don't let our light shine around those who know us the most and who love us dearly, that we feel the closest, have the most relational currency with, then we won't do it around strangers. Then we won't do it around our coworkers. We won't take it to where God has called us to go, to all the ends of the world. And so your light shining in the world is it first and foremost starting in your world, your home. And then after that, are you going out from there? Are you springboarding from there to go and to shine your light in the world where you do work? Because again, uh, the beauty of the body of Christ is that we're in different places all the time. Like I can't go to where you work. I, I can't go to where you do your day to day. But you can. 
You have an in there with the people that are there. You have an in there with the people. You have a relationship with the people that are there. And if you don't, you need to start having a relationship with them. Because we're called on mission wherever God has, has us. Wherever God leads us, hey, we need to be on mission there. And so if that's on mission in your home, praise the Lord. Be on mission there. Shine your light there. If it's a school, hey, do it there. If it's at your workplace, whether that's at a restaurant or a bank or a school or a doctor's office or from home on, the, on Zoom, whatever it may be now, I don't know. So let your light shine that men may see and men may glorify the Lord by your good works. And my friends, as we do that, then we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. And understand that tonight, as we look at this, that God has called each of us to this, that God has called each of us. No one's off the hook here. No one is here is meant to shrink away from being what we are. See, again, light permeates everything. Light shines in the darkness. And so as lights, we need to permeate and shine in the darkness, not hide away. Not be those who think, okay, well, you know, we just need to stay safe in our place here where it's comfortable and everyone likes us. And we need to shine into the darkness of the world. And if you're not, then you're not walking in this mindset that Jesus is seeking to teach about here, that he's going to continue to teach about here. And I speak for myself as much as I do for you. You know, I'll be honest with you. When it comes to light and shining light, you know, I said for most of us, you know, we start in the home is, is, is where we need to, or when it says for most of us there in the home, we need to ask ourselves, are we shining light there so that we can shine it in the world? And for most of us, if we're not shining it there, then we're not shining it elsewhere. I'll be honest with you. I, I would say that in a way, I'm kind of an exception there because my job is this, and I love my job. But at times, I'll go home and I won't let my light shine there. I let my light shine here on Wednesdays before you guys. I, I want to do that. And anytime someone comes in, I'm like, all right, time to shine the light of Jesus. Let's do this. Then I go home and I'm just like, I'm done. But what I can't do is go home and be done. I got to go home and I got to shine my light there to my wife and my kids so that we are together shining lights together. You know, you and I, as we come here together, we can't stop shining light here. In fact, this is a place where we shine light and see how strong the light is that we have together. Because what's so encouraging about us gathering together and having the same light of Jesus in our hearts and lives is the fact that we realize we're not by ourselves in this. And so you go out into the world, into the mission field to shine your light there as individuals. But what you know is you're like, I've got a ton of people that are backing me in this, that are praying for me in this, that are with me in this. That's such an amazing thing to think about. It's such an amazing thing to think about as we think about how Jesus here has let us know that this isn't something that you are working towards. You aren't working to be salts. You aren't working to be lights. You are. You know, you'll notice there as you read, he says there in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the worlds. It's not this suggestive, it's not this passive type of way of saying, ah, you know, you, you need to be or you can be. It's emphatic. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the worlds. So what Jesus is showing those who are listening to him there and showing us here as we read tonight 
and it's so important for us to key on, is the fact that he gives a clear indicator that we are these things as we belong to him, and we are either doing what we're called to do or we're not. We're either useful and walking or we're useless and hidden. And the big part of that is it's a choice that we make. We make a choice to follow the Lord as He calls us to Himself. And then we make the choice whether or not as the salt of the earth that we are salty. We make the choice on whether or not we let our salt and our saltiness show out in this world. We make a choice on whether or not we let the world and the things of this world and our flesh and sin dilute the saltiness that we're called to show to the rest of the world. That's a choice that we make. And it's a choice that we make every single day. The same with the lights. Jesus didn't say, you're like the light of the world. Jesus didn't say, you should be. He says, you are the light of the world. And you are either shining or you're hidden. You're either a city that's set on a hill or you're not. And Jesus shows there that we have a choice. That we have a choice as we walk this road, walk this life of living with him and following him and seeking to have this mindset of the kingdom of heaven. What he's showing us is that the choice is ours all the way. And so for us here tonight, the choice is ours. What choice are are we making? What choice are we making when it comes to our walking with the Lord in our everyday place and space? Are you choosing to be salt or to let your saltiness show? Are you living to let your light shine or are you not? If you are, then praise the Lord. If you are, then don't stop. If you are, then understand that God is with you every step of the way to help you and to show you and to shine you. Understand that as we walk in this world, there's so many things that are going to seek and do seek to dilute our saltiness, that seek to dilute the light and cover up the light. And what's amazing about it is we know the source in which to go to to make sure that we're putting that stuff away. We go to the Word and we seek the Lord in the Word and say, God, I do want to shine out for you. I do want to flavor this world the way that you've called me to, so show me how to do it in your Word. And we wake up every day and decide, yes, Lord, I'm going to choose to walk as who I am, as the salt of the earth, as the light of the world. And He's there every step of the way to give us that, to help us in that. But again, the choice is ours. So if you're doing that, praise the Lord. Keep doing that. Keep pressing in. Keep seeking. If you're not, then understand again that Jesus doesn't say you're like or you can be or you're working on it. He says you are. And if you're not letting your saltiness show, your light shine, then you're hidden. The world can't see. In a much more aggressive way, Jesus says you're useless. Good for nothing. Jesus' words, not mine but they're true words. And they're words that we should realize don't have to be spoken to us. The words that we should realize don't have to be the case for our lives, however they so often can be. And so tonight, as we think about this, as we see that this, these similitudes, this idea that Jesus says, hey, you are, you are like this, you are this, walk this way. Then my friends, tonight we have a choice to make each of us individually, and even us corporately, on whether or not we're going to walk as who God has us. Are we going to walk as salt? Are we going to walk as light? 
Are you going to do that today, tomorrow, and any other day that the Lord brings to your life, wherever he may have you? Or are you going to choose to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue to let the world dilute me. I'm going to continue to let things cover me up. Are you going to choose, are we going to choose to walk with the Lord? Or are we going to choose to not? Tonight, that choice is ours. Tomorrow, that choice is ours. And I pray we'd make the choice to be exactly who God made us and walk accordingly. Let's pray.